Hey, it's Andy. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm assuming most of you aren't Michigan fans because I think our episode with Ari Wasserman on Monday chased most of them away. Uh, if you if you happen to have any friends who are Michigan fans, call them and tell them we're back to being a safe space. They can come on back. Today, Max Olson joins. We're going to talk a little bit about what Nebraska is doing to get out in front of the name, image, and likeness issue. And then we're going to answer some questions. Dear Andy live on tape, and you know we'll come up with a name with it later. But Max and I will both be answering your questions. And then we've got a great random ranking topic. Dual threat actors and actresses. Drama and comedy. Who are the best at both? Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. Going to be another special Dear Andy edition, although this is a new format because while we'll be doing Dear Andy live on tape, but not really on tape because we don't use tape anymore, and we will come up with a better name for that, it will not just be me answering the questions. We brought in my friend Max Olson from The Athletic to help because, listen, I love my opinions. My opinions are great. They're not always right. So... It's probably better that we get some other viewpoints on, too. And and not always Ari Wasserman, because, you know, we just get a lot of hate mail when Ari comes on. So uh, I, I don't think anybody listening to this is a Michigan fan. I think they'll never listen again after Ari's appearance on Monday. So, Max, uh, what fan base do you intend to enrage today? Man, this was a smart move on your part because I don't. I'm just like not the most opinionated person, so I felt like you probably you guys thought it out and were like, "Well, who's the least like Ari, and who will who will just sort of bow down to what whatever Andy's takes are?" And I think you made a good choice with me. You will get the lukewarmest of takes from the two of us. <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a big hot take guy either myself, so this is this could be dangerous. But no, I we have some good questions, and and I do have. Many, many thoughts. But before we get to the questions, Max, I wanted to talk to you about something that's going on where you live in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, there was an announcement on Tuesday from the University of Nebraska that they are going to basically contract with a, a third-party company to help their athletes maximize their name, image, and likeness rights. So basically saying, hey, look, we know this is coming so we want to maximize it for our athletes, which, oh, by the way, should give us a, a little upper hand in recruiting, at least till everybody else figures this out. It's it's a huge victory, Andy, for common sense, honestly, man, because I think you, you know how you know what the atmosphere has been on this topic for a long time. And it's administrators and coaches being very wary of what the future is going to be of, oh, well, you know, angst about what the details would be for NIL you know, benefits and compensation and all that. And good on Nebraska for finally just kind of conceding and saying, you know what, if this is coming, let's try to be ahead of the game. And um, it's one of those deals where they're actually really fortunate because uh, the guys that that run Open Doors, the company that they're working with, um, Blake Lawrence and and Adi Kunalik, are are former Husker players um, from when I was in school. And, and they have been ahead on this topic for years. Um, and it just so happens their office is one block from the uh, University of Nebraska campus. So they kind of have the experts right in their backyard here when it comes to this stuff. That those Open Doors has been working with uh, college football programs and college you know athletics programs for a really long time on their social media and, and how to improve it. And so I, I just think it makes too much sense to say, 
let's finally admit this is a thing that's coming uh, and let's get good at it. And clearly, you know, kudos to Open Doors for convincing Nebraska's, you know, athletic department and coaches, hey, guys, you, you should invest in this. This this can be a real recruiting advantage, especially if Nebraska can get ahead of everybody else on it. Yeah, and everybody else is working on it, by the way, because I've had a lot of situations where I've been talking to coaches in the last year or so, and after the interview's over, they'll say, this is off the record, but um, where does everything stand on that NIL stuff, and how, <laughs> how can that help me? Because they, they want to know, and, and it's different in different places. You know, Nebraska is a different environment for that than, say, Miami or USC. In Correct. Nebraska... The athletes at Nebraska are the rock stars in their community. At Miami and USC, they're not. But the difference is the Instagram economy, all that stuff, is huge in big cities like Miami and Los Angeles, not as big in a town like Lincoln. So it, it'll be interesting to see how all this, this goes forward. But uh, you know, I saw a lot of people asking when this came out, well, what does social media have to do with this? And the answer is everything. Because mm-hmm. almost all of the, the money anybody would get is going to run through social media. If, if you don't have Instagram or Snapchat, you might not understand how this works. If you do have Instagram, you know exactly how this works. Because You've seen all these different people, these famous people that you follow on Instagram or not so famous people who are either really good at one particular thing or really good looking or, or they've been on The Bachelor, things like that. Ex- yeah. Exactly. They can take a picture of themselves with a product and get paid for it. Now, it's not massive money unless you have a massive following. I saw that uh I believe Cristiano Ronaldo, I think, has the, the highest Instagram following of any athletes, 133 million. And so he could command $750,000 a post. But, you know, th- there's a lot of athletes that do have six figure Instagram followings who could command four or five grand a post. And guess what? That's real money that spends just as well as any other kind of money. Yeah, you're right. And, and you know, this is something that um, the guys at Open Doors have figured out over time. Like, they've looked at it. Um, and, and they, there's lots and lots of examples of, they found, okay, if you have just a, like, look, like, let's say you have like a, a hype video for, you know, Juju Smith Schuster, right? If you tweeted out on the Steelers Twitter account and you tweeted out on Juju's account, his account gets way more views, way more engagement when it actually comes from the athlete themselves. And so they've, they've seen this with pro athletes all the time that if, if you are kind of in charge of your own content and not asking your organization to do it for you, it brings a lot of people in the door. And so for Nebraska, you know, that their approach with athletes is, look, let's be, let's be real clear about this. Like you have value. You can't, you, you, if you use your platform, right, can have these kind of opportunities. And so they're going to get a, you know, to talk to every single student athlete in the, uh, in the department about, Here's what your value is. Here's what you need to do to improve it. And uh, I think it's pretty savvy, especially when we remember, Andy, that most of these, the majority of these guys are not going to get to play pro sports or, or really kind of capitalize on that stuff beyond their time in college. Exactly. And the other the other piece of this is, you know, it's, it's people say, oh, this will incite bidding wars. Not really. Not really. I There probably will be some people who spend some extra money on the athletes at the outset to try to get them to go to their favorite school. I think people will understand very quickly that betting on 17 and 18 year olds, not great business that, that, mm-hmm. that you might want to wait till they get good 
and then they can actually a lot easier as we've seen a lot easier in in college basketball than in college football right yes no and the shoe companies are more invested in college basketball and now everybody's like oh all this money comes through the shoe companies anyway it does not in football it does in basketball there's a reason for that because basketball is more important to these companies in terms of making sure they don't miss the next LeBron or the next Michael Jordan. Like it was critical for Nike to get Zion. You had to get Zion. And so you're going to scatter money all around trying to make sure you don't miss on that next person for football. It's not that big of a deal. You can't (laughs) wear cleats to school. So you're not selling, you know, obviously kids who play football in high school wear cleats, but guess what? They also buy sneakers. And so you're selling sneakers you want that basketball player who wears sneakers that you can wear to school, whose face is out there. You're not worried about the football players really until you figure out whether they're going to be a first rounder or not. So the, the shoe companies are probably out on this. This is going to be more of a micro economy, I think. And uh, I'm trying to think, Max, who, who's played football in the last 20 years that might command a nationwide ad campaign? Tebow, Johnny Football, maybe Tua? It's not many guys. No, I think I mean I think that's that's about right. And look, I mean, I, one one thing they're doing is literally, you know, Nebraska is going to tell you know the open doors are going to tell the Nebraska athletes, hey, here's your literal like monetary value right now and this stuff. And there's like some guys like Tua would command a completely ridiculous figure. I'm sure Joe Burrow during his rise last season would have too. But it's a like it's a pretty small group. I agree with you. Yeah, and what we're talking about with the rank and file players is going to be. A few bucks here and there. There, what will be interesting is in the college towns. Will there be kind of the Paris Hilton show up to this theme night at this bar and get paid for it? <laughs> and except you get like two hundred fifty bucks instead of Paris getting two hundred fifty thousand bucks. That'll be fun. And and now there will be inevitable conflicts. Like you know, if a certain grocery store chain is the official sponsor of the school or of the athletic department, you probably can't endorse a rival chain right it's probably gonna be frowned upon but i think all that stuff will kind of come out in the wash and uh, it's gonna happen it it, at this point there's no use in arguing about it you can you can argue all you want it's gonna happen as we talk about this uh the nil bill in the state of florida has passed the state senate as we record it has yet to be discussed on the house floor but it will be within the next 24 hours or so, and then it'll get voted on. It's got strong bipartisan support. It's probably going to go through. The governor's basically already said he's going to sign it. So you, you got to understand, this is happening. And, you know, the schools, it seems, have finally stopped fighting, which is good. This, Nebraska is being very smart to be proactive. There are other schools that are doing this, being proactive. And honestly, if your school's not getting prepared for this, it's already behind. Yeah, totally agree. Don't you think I, – I was talking with the recruiting coordinator at the uh, coaches' convention in Nashville back in January, and they made a comment that I hadn't really thought about, and I'm curious for your take. Don't you think there will be – just as like Thomas Mars popped up because there was an opportunity uh, in the waiver market, don't you think there's going to be all sorts of folks, whether it's on, on the legal side or whatever, that pop up realizing there's, there's an opportunity to – help student athletes or, or sort of be an agent and brokering these kind of things. Like I feel like that, that is sort of going to pop up as this stuff becomes more real. I think there will be a group of agents that pop up that, that help out athletes and uh, you need it, especially if you have a high value because you want somebody brokering the best deal for you. I, I had an athletic sure. director call me a few months ago and ask if I were to fill a position 
to be a liaison to help these people, to help deal with the athletes and the inevitable people who will come forward. Who should I hire? And I said, probably someone who's worked at the NFLPA or the NBA PA because they're used to dealing with agents and they're used to dealing with these types of issues on a daily basis because Mm -hmm. that that's the type of person who would have some expertise in this. And you know, you, you hear the agent word and you get freaked out, but do remember every college athlete pretty much has an agent. It may be mom or dad. It may be the guy, Max, you've covered enough recruiting to know that most top recruits have a guy. Have a guy, yep. And that guy, the coach has to deal with. I, one time I asked a uh, like a big-time Power 5 coach, I said, would you rather deal with Lee Steinberg and Drew Rosenhaus or the people you deal with now? And the yeah. coach was like, oh, give me Steinberg and <laughs> Rosenhaus every day. <laughs> every day. Yes. Yes, they because they actually are like required to follow some ethics in this business, right? Yeah. So that that's the funny part is is people think, oh, you know, agents will kind of ruin everything. No, it it actually might professionalize it somewhat. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I'm very curious to see which schools are ahead of the curve on this. But but it's interesting, Max, to me that you see Nebraska doing this. The Big Ten is out in front on the the transfer rule. This is not the usual stayed let's wait and see what happens big 10 they are really getting proactive on stuff and and not in a dumb way but in a in a here are things that we have realized are inevitable let's just get ahead of it yeah you know and that was that was a little bit surprising on on monday um you know i went over to nebraska's you know um, spring press conference to, to get spring ball rolling and back in the fall, when you asked Scott Frost about this topic, you know, I think he falls in line with a lot of folks in, in sort of, you know, making kind of comments along the lines of like, yeah, I fear for the future of this. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't think this is good. Is, you know, this is not how it was when I played that kind of the, the typical stuff you hear from coaches. And, and on Monday, he honestly like smiled when this came up because he has been convinced in the time since that, look, this is happening. There's no point in any more hand wringing. Uh, you've got the people next door to you here uh, who have all the answers on how to try to do this. So um, you know, he, he it sounded like a straight up recruiting pitch from him of if you come to Nebraska, we're ahead of the game on things, and and this is one of them. There are a few places where you can capitalize on your name, image, likeness, and personality, um, like the state of Nebraska, where where obviously the fan excitement is is so all in, and it's the only thing in the state. So. I, I would think more coaches should probably look at it that way and say, look, if this is happening, I at least want to be the best at it. Yeah, and I think a lot of coaches are. The one thing you have to realize with some coaches is they may publicly complain about something because they're still hopeful that they can get the change stopped because they're happy with how things are. But behind mm-hmm. the scenes, they're already working to deal with whatever comes. I mean, Nick yeah, Saban's kind sure. of a classic example of that. You know, when he was complaining about the pace of play and the clock rules – he was also recruiting to a future where his complaints fell on deaf ears and, and they kept the same rules and everybody was going fast. So he was complaining publicly but preparing quietly. And I think there's, there's a lot of that going on in college sports. So speaking of uh, complaining publicly and preparing quietly, I think it is time 
to get to our Dear Andy segment. And I am glad to have you here, Max, to, to bounce some of these ideas off of. And you know, maybe I'm wrong on a few things. And feel free to call me out on this. But we got some great questions from the folks. So I'm going to start with one from John. And it's, Andy, I enjoyed your thoughts on some of the Big 12 Pac-12 merger. And by 2027, at the latest, I believe something of this nature has to happen for college football west of the Mississippi to remain competitive. Where you lost me, keeping the Longhorn Network as is instead of expanding the Longhorn Network to cover the entire new Western Conference with ESPN remaining as the owner-operator. Yes, Texas would have to be paid, but in my opinion, the only way the Western Conference can stay within financial hailing distance of the Big Ten and the SEC is to have a viable network marketed by ESPN. Now, I think that's pretty interesting, but here's my thing on this, John, and, and Max, you tell me as someone who <laughs> covered extensively the Longhorn Network and its <laughs> and creation. And appeared on the Longhorn Network plenty, <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Sure. So the reason I don't think the Big 12 needs to change anything about its revenue distribution model is because that would be attractive to schools like USC and Oregon and Washington that have been essentially subsidizing all the other schools in the league and they've given their third tier rights over and they're not getting anything back from it really. Mm-hmm. Instead, they could sell it. You know, you could have the Trojan network or you could have the Duck network and there's more money in that for them than there is for just pitching in and then getting getting a, a conference-wide network because it still doesn't solve the the how many people care. I mean, I do think if and and Max, for those who don't know, my plan is the Big Twelve needs to raid the Pac twelve, take four to six teams from there, sure, and sure. Uh, and and just move on like that. I, let's say you went to sixteen in the Big Twelve, you took half the Pac twelve, the the most valuable half. That conference network, if you created one, would probably be. Decent money, but here's the problem. With all the cord cutting, is that the best way to do it now? The way the Big 12 does it might actually be the best way to do it. So, and this this appeals to Texas, it appeals to Oklahoma, it would appeal to USC. That's why I, I don't think you change that. I don't think you force Texas into that because, you know, everybody says the Longhorn, oh, the Longhorn Network's a disaster. I don't get it on my TV. Well, you know who loves the Longhorn Network? Texas, every time the check comes in. <laughs> Honestly, I'm with you. Um, I, I think about it from the perspective of the Pac-12 schools. If the pitch is um, come over to the Big 12 and we'll launch a TV network, and hopefully it'll go well. Like, haven't they lived in that world? Yeah, they don't. The they don't want to hear that. They want to. <laughs> they want to hear. Here is what we'll give you. What we'll get from ESPN and Fox for the first and second tier rights, and it's going to be a lot of money. It's going to be mm-hmm. more than we make now. It's going to be closer to the SEC and the Big Ten. It won't be as much, but it'll be closer. And then you can sell your individual rights. And so Texas and Oklahoma and USC, you probably will be fairly even with the SEC and the Big Ten at that point. Everybody right. else, not even, but way ahead of where you would have been. Cor- correct. And and look, I think the it's interesting. The, the, the fact that the Longhorn Network deal – is like sort of an albatross in the whole Big 12 setup has actually like ultimately proved workable for the Big 12 because it's forced them to it, since the Big 12 network is not really something that's like imminent or or something that has any momentum I think it's forced them to explore the alternatives and uh, it seems like what they've found is 
Um, first of all, the third tier rights are going really well for these schools. And, and second of all, it allows them to explore things. You know, they went into business with ESPN on ESPN plus a Correct. year ago and saw an opportunity here of, look, let's, let's go this Avenue and figure out, you know, gather the data that we can from going the streaming route and see if maybe this is preferable to, you know, all of the, the costly infrastructure of having a TV network, which, you know, they've gone through on LHN already. So they already know, they already know what that looks like. Right. Um, the scale that you need to go to, to do that. I I actually think they've stumbled upon a better solution than going for a conference network where in this conference, you're conceiving a 14 or 16 team league. Like it's already sort of like geographically shaky anyway. Why tie it all together under the package of a network? Yeah. And, and that is a very 2010 way of thinking of things. Right. We don't know in 2024 how people are going to consume these games. Uh, we have an idea. I think the the fact is that ESPN and Fox are still going to be the biggest bidders in the marketplace. I don't think Amazon or Netflix is going to ride in on a white horse and offer a bunch of money to anybody because they are into building content libraries. They're not into live events that go away and don't live sure. there. Stranger Things if you haven't watched Stranger Things, you can watch it tomorrow and you'll binge all three seasons and you'll love it, but you can't go back and watch the 2005 Texas-Oklahoma game tomorrow and care. You just That's not how it works. So I think things will be closer to what they are now, but doing it in the form of a linear cable network, maybe not the smartest thing because those are going the way of the dodo. It's just a matter of how those networks will get fed to you and how you'll buy them that's going to change. So I think I think the Big 12, yeah, accidentally wound up with the best plan, which, you know, if we'd have told us that 2012, 2013, we, just, we would have all laughed. <laughs> like, the For Big sure. 12? Wait, they don't know what they're doing? Well, it turns out they did. So. I'm with you. I'm with you. And, and like I said, I mean, it's just, like, where would you even base a Big 12 network in that 16-team league? Like, it's just... It's just sort of a weird arrangement all around in, in merging these two leagues. And certainly I, I think part of them coming to the Big 12 is, is running away from the bad model. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Does the Big 12 have the stomach to try to do what Larry Scott did to them? I don't know. But they should try. That would secure them for a while. So let, let's move on to, to Brian's question, Max. This, this is a good one. This is a... Looking, this, is, this is fun. Looking into the future again. As we enter 2020, please place your bets on these over-unders for the decade. Now, we're not going to get into my rant about what a decade is because actually the last decade isn't over until the end of this year. Oh, God. that You're one of those people? Well, it's true. That's <laughs> how decades actually work. But... <laughs> So we'll ignore that. We'll just go from, okay. from 2020 <laughs> to 2029 it. will be our time that we're, we're working on. Okay, this is these are really good. Brian is, is these are really some good. thought of that. Brian, okay. Brian brought the goods. Yes. Combine Clemson-Alabama national championships five and a half. Oh, he put it, at the, he put it in like a perfect spot there. I, I, I think, damn it, I think I'd go over. I'm going under. This yeah. does not take into account the cyclical nature of college football. Sure. It just doesn't. Sure. It it because okay, do we know that Alabama's 
I, like Alabama, I think, has a couple more in them. But how much longer is Nick Saban going to coach? Mm-hmm. You know, if he were to coach till the end of, of 10 years from now, he would be 79 years old. Yeah. Well, and even if they, like, let's say those two combined for, like, the next three, it's hard to see them. I guess it's hard to conceive them getting three more over the rest of the decade, I guess, it, right? Exactly. And Clemson's still going to be good. Dabo's younger, but Dabo strikes me as a I'm not doing this forever kind of guy. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how much – I mean, he's in his early 50s. I don't know how much longer he's going to wind up coaching. I would think he coaches through this decade, but I also don't think you can stay at that level for that long. It's really mm-hmm. hard. Alabama did it this past decade. I, I don't, I don't know that we're going to see that again because it, it's just really hard to do. You know, think about how good Ohio State's been over the last ten years. They got one national title out of that. You know, yeah. it, it's. It's super hard. So I'm going to go under on that. Next one. Non-QB Heisman winners. One. Under. I, I, I'm i going to go under, too. I, I just... I The last one was Derrick Henry, and it was a year where there wasn't a quarterback who really popped. But I think the way the game has changed uh. now, the, the, the quarterbacks are... I, it does feel really hard for a receiver to win one at this point, doesn't it? He's got to return kicks. He's probably got to play a little corner. I don't. I, I just don't know how. I don't know how another player. See, the the only other play. I keep wondering when a defensive player will really win one. It's got to be like a dominant defensive tackle. My thing is, if Indomitian Sue couldn't win it in two thousand nine when he was clearly the best player in the country, I, I don't think there's any way it's going to happen. With, with quarterbacks putting up the numbers they put up now. Yeah, I'm with you. I I think if, if you told me one out of ten here is a non-QB, I think that makes sense. So he put once again, kudos to you, Brian, for putting the number in, in the perfect place there. Head coaching changes at Iowa. One. <laughs> uh, Under. Ferentz is going to coach forever. <laughs> He's going to get three more contract extensions by by the end of the decade. Yeah, yeah, and and shoot, I mean, and then what if he hands it off to another Ferentz, right? Like, who knows? Maybe, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I like it under. <laughs> no, I, I think one is the number. This, this is the problem, Brian. You're too good at this. Yes, you were too good at setting the number. Total schools to make the college football playoff, thirteen point five. I'm trying to think of what the what number we're at right now. Yeah, I think we're in we're we're in double digits in the six years that it's been played. Obviously, the first year it was four, so you got you got to start it off that way. But so we're we're into double digits now. I think over on this one. I, I think there'll be enough churn that that you'll get into you get closer to twenty. Wow, I felt like this is an easy under. Really, I I just think we don't think about. How cyclical things can be. Uh huh. Five years ago, LSU was in bad shape. Les Miles was about to get fired. Now LSU is the national champion. Mm-hmm. I mean, these things just kind of move up and down, except for Ohio State. Like my one of my just written in stone rules of college football is Ohio State's always good. 
everybody else, they can be bad at some point. It's true. And we've had, you know, we have had the, uh, the one year wonder teams, um, in the playoff. I, I, I remember Michigan state making the playoff, obviously Washington made it a year. I mean, if you want to go list 14 teams that can make the playoff in the next decade, like I'm sure that's like pretty easy to do, but I, I'm with you. But I feel like even if it's not Alabama and Clemson though, there's just enough of those Ohio states and Oklahoma's and Georgia's that are playing in a ton of them that I think we stay under 14. Well, think about though, Florida has yet to make it. Penn State has yet to make it. USC has yet to make it. Oregon has made it. Texas has yet to make it. There's a lot of big... Michigan has yet to make it. There's a lot of big-name programs that have the capability to do this, that have made it. Uh, Until last year, LSU hadn't made it. Uh, Our producer, John Hayes, points out 11 so far in the first six years of the playoff. Oh, 11 and 6? Okay, then yeah. 13 and a half. You feel pretty good about the over then. Again, though, that's a pretty good number. (laughs) It's a good job setting the number. It is. I like this, Brian. All right, one more. Power 5 coaches who will retire on their own terms, <laughs> five and a half over under. What, what, are you, what are you defining that as when you when you see that question? That is, you did not get forced out. You just decided you were done. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd go over. But what do you think the number – I mean, how do you feel think, think about Think about all the coaches we know. How many of them hang on to – even Bobby Bowden hung on too long. He had to get forced out. It's not mm-hmm. – it's not as much of a slam dunk as you think. Now, we mentioned Kirk Ferentz. I think Kirk Ferentz will retire on his own terms. I think Nick Saban will retire on his own terms. That's two. But who else right now in the Power Five can you see retiring or leaving on his own terms? Like, I could see Lincoln Riley if he decided to leave for the NFL, you know, 10 years from now or whatever. But I don't know. There's a lot of coaches that. But, that but will you do only that. need, like, to to get over on five and a half, you only need like two Chris Petersons over a decade. That's true. You're right because because we already know Ferentz and Saban are on that list, or two Bob Stoops. Yeah, right. And I'd say Orgeron has has put himself on that list, but it's he's in Louisiana. That <laughs> nothing ever nothing ever seems to end well there. So I I don't know if I can put him on there, even though he seems pretty rock solid and safe right now. Uh, yeah, I just. Yeah, I think we got to go over on that one. It's just yeah, it's just not in their nature to do that. It's in their nature to hang on too long. It it is actually kind of an interesting question though. Like, what what would your short list be? You've mentioned a couple, but like, what would your short list be of like these guys are are next up uh, in the on deck circle to retire? Well, like Dabo will probably be able to retire on his own terms, but I just don't know that it'll be in this decade. Mm-hmm. So that that's one that he. He, I think, has earned earned that. He's he's got the lifetime pass. But Ferentz, obviously being the longest tenured Power Five coach now, and his age, Saban because of his age is is one you'd think about. Mac Brown is going to retire at some point. He's yep. sixty eight years old now. I would think he'll be able to go on his own terms, given the Gary way Patterson. Things are going. Yeah, the second longest tenured coach right now. Yep. Now he was very young when he got the job, so he was. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I would think sometime in the next decade, and he will absolutely get to go on his own terms, unless there's, oh totally, unless there's a scandal or something. But you know, as long as it's just football related, he's get, he's going on his own terms. So, you think David Cutcliffe could go on his own terms potentially? Oh yeah, 
A hundred percent. I would think so. Yeah. So this this might actually be the number that Brian didn't set so well. This is an over. Okay. This yeah. This one's an over because you're right. David Cutcliffe absolutely like the David Cutcliffe and Mac Brown within eight miles of each other are going to retire on their own terms this decade. Yes. So I think I think that that makes it a little bit easier. So yeah. All right. We're gonna go over on that one. Great question, Brian. I I love that question. All right. One last question before we get to our random ranking. Hi, Andy. When do you see? Where do you see the next big recruiting hotbed emerging? Some believe it's the Metro Nashville area, and though I can see that in about twenty years, I don't think it will happen as quickly as Tennessee fans hope. Is it Metro Charlotte, which is about ten years ahead of Nashville in population growth? Could Ohio or Pennsylvania, perhaps New Jersey or Maryland, somehow turn back the clock? Or will Metro Atlanta continue to grow until Georgia surpasses Texas and California and settle in as the number two behind Florida? Now, Georgia has already surpassed California in terms of Power 5 production. It, it passed mm-hmm. them about five years ago. So Georgia is squarely number three when we're talking about elite talent, and that is the, the Atlanta population boom of the last 30 years, which has probably been the most significant population move in terms of college football and college football recruiting. So where's, where's that next one? Nashville's a good choice. Charlotte's a better choice. Yeah. 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 I, I, I think, I think, by the way, this is an extremely Andy Staples question. Oh like, yeah. I, I saw this and I was like, this is, this is very much up your alley. I love my recruiting maps. So, but yeah, Charlotte is a, a very fast growing city in a, in a state that loves football, you know, and people say, Oh, it's North Carolina basketball state. Eh, you're like eight miles from the South Carolina border. <laughs> they love football in Charlotte. So, but the, but here's the question, Max. I I keep naming places in the SEC ACC footprint. What about elsewhere? Yeah, so so I did uh I I did what any sensible person would do on this topic. I just went onto Google and saw what the first results said. And according to the Census Bureau, uh the the city with the largest population increase from 2017 to 2018 uh, was a, a city you visited not too long ago, Andy. I had Phoenix. a feeling we were going there. Yes, Phoenix. That's... Phoenix shot up 25,000 people in, in uh, between 2017 and 2018. Uh, also in that top five, Seattle, Charlotte, San Antonio, Fort Worth. Yeah, so San Antonio is another quietly booming city. That That's one where, where you could see a lot of you know recruitment. Well, obviously, there's good players coming out of there now, but you could see a lot of schools – invading san antonio because it's it's such a recruit rich environment as the population grows but phoenix is really interesting they're yeah. already producing a ton of good quarterbacks their population is booming they have room for more they can accommodate uh, you know a pretty large group of people moving there still so that's the one i think and and that is why max in that column i wrote last week i said the big 12 needs to steal the arizona schools because i think yeah because of the population boom in the state of Arizona, they will become more valuable over time. I'm with you, and and you know you you went and visited and have written recruiting stories from there. But like you've seen it in the last few years, um, whether it was um, Texas A&M going into Arizona to get Kyle Allen and and Christian Kirk, or uh, certainly that that state became a big priority for Ohio State and, and a lot of schools in the last cycle. Texas has had success there. Um, you know, I think it's it's grown beyond a Pac-12 area. I think it's a a pretty nationally recruited area. So um, I like that potential, and I'm with you, man. Like I think any Big 12 expansion talk, like those are just sort of the two most natural 
kind of fit ideas, I think, where if you're going to start to uh, talking about the Big 12 rating anybody. Yeah, and you know Phoenix is is unbelievable now. It's a it's a sprawling place. Like you, yeah. you want to drive from from Gilbert to Buckeye, you're driving a long way, but it's civilization the entire way, and that's not something you would have said 20 years ago. So uh, it is going to be it is going to be the next hotbed. I think Phoenix, Charlotte, Nashville, Nashville, the, the George who asked the question. I think was right that Nashville's probably going to be a little bit longer tail than the others. And, mm-hmm. you know, he, he talks about in terms of Tennessee fans hoping for it. The other problem is if you're Tennessee, defending your borders is not that easy because of the way the state is shaped. I mean, yeah. straight shot down 65 from Nashville to Birmingham, and then you just hang a right, and in 45 minutes you're in Tuscaloosa. So, you know, it's, a, it's a, basically like a two-and-a-half-hour drive to Tuscaloosa from there, you can get to Ole Miss pretty easily. You can get to Mississippi State pretty easily. You can get to to Athens, Georgia pretty easily. So it's not necessarily, oh, Nashville's booming. Tennessee's the only one that can take advantage of that. So it's sort of like the, the Arizona and Arizona State thing with Phoenix. Like uh, you, you read Ari Wasserman's Arizona recruiting story. They don't <laughs> recruit Phoenix particularly well. So it's it's oh amazing. god oh god you've lost us another fan base andy oh man thanks a lot Ari. if they cared enough to turn it off <laughs> i'd be worried it's not like That's the michigan good. folks the michigan folks are gone this is you know we you you can say whatever you want the buckeye fans will be happy but the michigan folks i we i, I fear we've lost them forever but that's okay so george by the way asked a great population question yes he knows he knows me too well but george also gave us a random ranking topic who are the best double threat actors and actresses who can play comedy and drama in equal measure? And he gives us a hint here, which I think is a good one. Mm-hmm. Think Brian Cranston in Seinfeld and Malcolm in the Middle, but also as Walter White in Breaking Bad. So I think that's a that's a great one. So we're we're each doing a top five, and and we'll we'll each give you our top five. But we'll start at number five, Max. Who do you have at number five as the best dual threat? Ugh, I have a. Uh... I have a long honorable mention list. I also threw this together in about three or four minutes. So you're going to say some names at some point here. I'm going to say, damn it, put them on my oh, list. So oh, I'm going to be the num- same way. N- number five is someone that I feel like is on the rise on this front, and that would be Bill Hader. Oh, that's good. Barry is a great show. Barry's you know, phenomenal. Came through comedy. He's and, not on and my he list. Is just, he's just flexed a totally different side of his personality with that show. And uh, and just one of the funniest people in the world. So he's he's my like he's he's it was between Bill Hader and like my other one that I feel like is kind of on the rise on that front. I I feel like Jennifer Lawrence has that potential too. Oh, absolutely. She I, I contemplated putting her on mine, but I was trying to think: has she been in anything where she's just been hysterically funny? Like she she brings an element of comedy to her dramatic roles too. Mm-hmm. So, it, but she hasn't just completely made you laugh yet she hasn't really in, been in, in, in american hustle she which i've watched she is recently, yeah she is very funny in that one that, yes. that's true all right so number five for me is uh, most of mine are old folks uh okay robert de niro uh-huh you know yep. obviously one of the the great dramatic actors of our time but then you get meet the parents and you realize oh my god this guy has incredible comic timing yes Yes, I, I love it. Are we are, are we only taking people who are active, or can we include the deceased? You can include the deceased if you want. 
Okay, I'm gonna do one like one honorary one here at number four. Okay. All right. Very underrated one, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh yes, absolutely, uh, unbelievable in Boogie Nights. Then he plays Truman Capote. I mean, it, yeah, he he could go he, he, he any had direction like, he wanted. And it, it's it's kind of like a, a shame that we didn't totally recognize this until he passed. But like, just the range of that guy was incredible. So three of the next four on my list have won a Best Actor or Actress Oscar. Okay. So okay. Uh, number four for me is Reese Witherspoon, who mm-hmm. started in comedy and then moved into drama and can play anything. Also another one who brings a lot of, of comedy to dramatic roles. Like if you watch Big Little Lies, she's hysterical in that show yes. in what is ostensibly a drama. Laura Dern's pretty darn funny too. Oh my gosh, yeah. I like that. I like that. I, I, I yeah. I, I really struggled this. So I feel like this the number three for me is someone that like just kind of has to be on the list um, as an all timer, and and that would be Bill Murray. Oh, absolutely. Lost in translation made us all look at him differently. Yes. So I, I think that's perfect. Now I, yeah. I got one who when he first burst on the scene, you didn't know he had all this in him. But not only, I mean, he he's actually probably the next person to get an EGOT, would be my guess. Okay. Jamie Foxx. Yes. Jamie yes. Foxx, because obviously very funny. He started on In Living Color, one of the greatest shows of all time. You've seen him in dramatic roles. You saw him as Ray. He can sing. He's had hit singles. I mean, this is, he, he's got to get himself a Tony. We've got to find somebody to write the right vehicle for him to get a tony oh i'm very i'm i'm very envious of that pick he was a close one for me um i don't did you see baby driver yes i love that movie he he as a he is just phenomenal as a villain in that yeah he he can do everything he can do anything you want uh we my kids had no idea who he was they saw him as the guest judge on the mass singer and they're like who's that i'm like <laughs> well oh dear when dad first got to know him Dad was in sixth grade and watching In Living Color, but he's branched out a little bit since then. So but yeah, Collateral, Django. I mean, he's you're, it's a great pick. It's a great pick on you. Okay, so number two is like probably like the actual number one. So num- number one's like kind of a sentimental pick for me. But number two, I, I have to go um, Samuel L. Jackson. Ooh, that is a good one. That is a great one because – I mean, he's he's had like 200 roles, so he's, yes. he's had a lot of chances to Ton of to really refine the talents on both sides there. But uh, he, he's he's just kind of that perfect. Color. I enjoy him as evil Russell Simmons in Kingsman. That is a really <laughs> underrated role for him. That was outstanding. Kingsman is good. Kingsman, Kingsman is, is a, a good great movie. movie. It's that might be in terms of just like popcorn. I'll watch it if it comes on and finish it. That might be my favorite of the last. Five seven years, whenever it came out. I like out. that. Yeah. No, it's very rewatchable yeah. and and a great cast. I'm with you on that. All right, number two for me, I took George's advice, Brian Cranston. I mean, he, okay. he he Walter White. He's dad on Malcolm in the Middle. Uh, he he was in he, he was fantastic in Seinfeld. He's just good at everything he does. He's he's one of, and apparently a really nice guy too. So yeah. uh, he he seems like it does not matter what role you put him in. And, and it's interesting because he's so iconic as Walter White, yet he's managed to transcend that. Like, 
he did, he's not getting typecast in, in, into those types of roles. I think the, mm-hmm. the fact that he got to shave his head and grow the goatee to be Walter White at the end helps because now when we see him with his hair and no no facial hair, it's like, oh, right. it's, it's, it's the dad from Malcolm in, in the middle again. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that's a good pick. Um, all right, my number one, it's 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 Lebowski. It's Jeff Bridges. Oh, that is a great one. Now you're going to be kicking yourself when I give you my number one. Oh no! Oh no! Because you you missed the most obvious one, and I'm sorry oh, about no. this. Tom Hanks. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good choice. <laughs> I respect it. I I like Jeff Bridges though. That's a great choice, and and he's very quietly put together a, a great you know post Lebowski career too I and mean, he already had a big career going but that was another role you could kind of get trapped in and people would want you to play that every single time and he's managed to, to choose wisely uh, that, for that sure. Iron Man and, villain and, role maybe not but the, the other ones no for sure and I, I think look I, like that's a like I said it's a sentimental pick I, I can't list like a ton of comedies Bridges has done. I, it's just that one kind of perfect role to me, combined with the his history in in uh, in dramas and and character acting and all that stuff. So that would be my guy. But damn it, Andy, you've made you've made a very very good pick. Um, Hank, like Hank's doing comedy is uh, is really sneaky good. Well, that's what uh, okay, that's where he started, and and people forget like he's obviously viewed as one of our greatest living actors, he was in Bosom Buddies. Yes. That was how he broke through. So he, he can do anything you want. And I'm a firm believer that if you can make somebody laugh, you can make them feel all the other emotions. I, I, I don't know about you, Max, but I feel like as a writer, the ones I feel like are more talented are the ones that can make you laugh as well as cry and think. Yes. Because it's, it's easier to make somebody cry than it is to make them laugh. I, I'm with you on that. So, what would be your like? What would be your Hanks comedy? Because for me, like the one in our household that is probably rewatched the most is uh, it, it's actually uh, You've Got Mail. That is a good one. I think it'd be big for me. Yeah. Uh, Splash, maybe. I was a little young when Splash came out, but I, I did watch it as I got older. Uh, but Big was just that. I was right in the target demo for that. Yeah, that makes sense. And he was just unbelievable. But it's funny because big is where you sort of see the turn coming, where you realize, oh, this guy could be a great dramatic actor, too, because a lot of what he had to play was that kid in that grown man's body realizing, oh, no, I'm going to miss the rest of my childhood. And mm-hmm. that's like secretly heartbreaking. So that that's one of those. Again, you can you can toggle laughter and crying pretty easily if you can make people laugh. But that's the hard part. Who 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 else was in contention for you here? Who who did you hate to miss the miss the cut? Michael Keaton was one that I, I struggled. I love Michael Keaton so much. Yeah. I mean, Night Shift and uh, even even those Batman movies. I thought he was he was really good in them, and and he was fantastic in Birdman. And uh, he was his um just like his the the he got to play a comedic role. Did you, did you ever see um the other guys? Oh yeah, absolutely. He is so good in that tiny little like ridiculous comedic role he's got in that. Yeah, and then Beetlejuice. I mean, it's yeah. tremendous. Oh, yes. So okay. Yeah, he probably yeah. should make it. I for, sh- for for me, like I I feel like we got to mention Robin Williams. Like, see, but my, just my based thing on about Robin one, Williams, it the, feels like based on. 
on Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, right. I just feel like he played Robin Williams in everything. It's fair. That's fair. The the other one that I feel like is kind of like a, a underrated one, and, and and no judgments here, but honestly, like I feel like Gosling can do both really well. The the one with Steve Carell and Emma Stone. What was that movie called? He was out- crazy stupid love. Yes, he was outstanding in that movie. That that's a very good movie. That the nice guys. Um, like he's he's like actually got some chops. And then uh, I, I don't know. I feel like he's got potential to kind of kind of do a lot of both in in the years to come. See, that just makes me angry because you shouldn't look like that and also be funny. It's not fair. I know. It's very frustrating. <laughs> the line where Emma Stone goes, "It looks like you were photoshopped." Pretty, pretty where, accurate. Where, where are you on on? Uh, did you see Uncut Gems? I have not seen that yet. I am I am very okay. excited to see that. I was curious if you would. Uh, I, I was curious if Sandler would get a mention in this or not. Well, I mean, he he was good in Punch Drunk Love too, so he's got it in him. And Ben Stiller's got it in him too, with a couple of different roles. So I, I think Fair. I, again. And Jim Carrey, we haven't even mentioned Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, along uh, with a bunch of classic comedies. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. So again, if you can make them laugh, that's the key to the world. Hey, Max, one one thing we haven't done in a while on this show, but you've done it a couple times. So back when we had a show each week that was behind the paywall, we did the Secret to Happiness, and that was our our gift to the subscribers of the Athletic. Well, now we're giving it to the whole world. So. Max Olson, I got to ask you, what's the secret to happiness? <laughs> can, can I give you like a really, uh, really easy, lame, predictable one here? I, Absolutely. I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of struggling for something that'll, they'll really knock your socks off here. I, I just, I just spent a week on the road in, in Texas. Um, I, like I, I, I want to say, I want to say queso. Please say kolaches. Uh, I, I had some wonderful kolaches as well. I, I want to say queso. The other one that came to mind for me, honestly, Andy, this is nice and simple. Hazy IPAs. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Those have made a lot of people happy over the years. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. Uh, I know you can find them literally anywhere at this point, but they just they just do the job. They do. They do. as do kolaches. So we'll save kolaches for another secret to happiness. That that may be the next time I make a Texas swing. If I go through through West Texas, not. Not the region, but the what, town. I'll, yeah. I'll do that. What's your What's your check stop order? Apricot. Love it. Yeah. And they'll heat it, it up for you. Get it heated up. Yes, they will. Worth the wait. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Max Olson, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for a secret to happiness that I may partake in this evening. <laughs> Love it. What's What's the one at home for you? Well, I, it's actually not a hazy IPA at the moment. I have a a, a beer from a, a brewery in Gainesville, Florida called Swamphead, and it's uh, okay. Doug's Dairy Twirl is the name of the the beer, and it is if Neapolitan ice cream were a stout. Ooh, chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. Ten point four percent alcohol. It Ooh. is literally drinking dessert. I mean, we and I, I could do like a whole. We could, we could go another twenty minutes on coffee beers too. But I know we got to wrap this up. That's right. We, we'll have a whole show. This is a long off season, Max. Don't you worry. <laughs> We're gonna have. We might do an entirely beer related show. I think that is a perfect May slash June topic that we can knock out. So we'll, we'll have the listeners. You know, you folks always chime in on Twitter. I know the Michigan fans who listen are very vocal on Twitter. Uh, 
us what you want to hear about in the offseason because we may have to go off topic a little bit because, heck, everything may be canceled because of coronavirus. So if, if you got some ideas, we'd love to hear them. That's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like me and Max, if you want to hear what we have to say about other things, if you want to read what we have to say about other things, subscribe to The Athletic. We write stories there. We talk here. It's a lot of fun. It's also the best sports writing on the planet. You get college football, and we have the best college football coverage team in America. You get MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL, international soccer, experts in every field covering the teams in the way you want them covered. No clickbait, just good stories, meaty reads, good flawless app with no pop-up ads. It's everything you've been asking for. Now, we do charge a little bit for it, but it's less than a latte a month. No big deal. And if you want 40% off the first year, go to theathletic.com slash Andy Staples. That's theathletic.com slash Andy Staples. You will not regret it. Happy subscribing and happy reading. <laughs>